morning, everybody. Thanks again for being here. Part three of this series we're calling Fundamentals. Basically, the entire premise here is whatever stage you're at in life, it could be student, parent, uh, just working. I mean, wherever you're at, we feel like there are some fundamental things that you need in your life in order to succeed. And I love the quote that's there on the uh, video, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And I don't want any of you to fail, especially at life, but even more importantly, I don't want any of you to fail at Christianity. And the same principle applies, that there are some things in your Christian life that you need to put in to your life in order to succeed in Christianity. And I wanted to spend uh, four weeks exploring what those things are, how you can actually apply things to your life to help you live more for God. And so even if you're a longtime Christian, I think there are some principles in your life that are fundamental that you need to be reminded of because even professional athletes practice fundamentals. They always go back to those things no matter where at. So just to kind of catch us up, week one, we talked about really the premise of Christianity. Everything hinges on the person and work of Jesus. If he didn't raise from the dead, the entire religion is pointless. Paul would say that we're most of all people to be pitied. But the fact is, Jesus did raise from the dead. And because of that, he's asked us to do some things. He's called us to be followers and fishers. In other words, uh, Christianity is not a spectator sport. God asks you to get involved. And last week we talked about how you can get off the sidelines, how you can go public with your faith, specifically around the idea of baptism and communion. What are those? Why do we practice those even? And uh, if you missed any of those, you can check them out online. But today I want to talk about God's primary competition. You need to understand that there's some things in your life competing for God's time and competing for your ability to succeed in your Christian walk. And so just as a preface here, I feel like my job as the pastor is to kind of stay up on current events and what's happening in the news. And so like many of you, I'll do things like read uh, papers or magazines or stories online. And I continually find myself reading these stories about new scientific discoveries that people are spinning because they're really just old stories. I mean, it's, it's things that we all know already, yet the authors put a spin on it to make it sound like they've discovered the secret to all humanity and productivity and happiness. And they write stuff like, if you'll just go to bed earlier, or if you'll just wake up earlier. What's key is you got to get seven to nine. You got to get a tight seven to nine hours. But if you'll just go to bed earlier, wake up earlier, then you'll be more productive. And then somebody else comes along and says, no, 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 it's not about the quantity of sleep. It's about the quality of your sleep. And so they develop these, you know, Fitbits and whatever to help track your sleep patterns, mattresses and pillows. And you got to have all these things in order to get more quality sleep. It's not necessarily about the quantity. And then other people will come along and say, no, 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 it's not about quality. It's about taking a nap. Any successful person, they took naps. They just napped periodically along the way. They stayed up way late, just took naps. And then you start to do these things. 
start figuring out your sleep patterns, you start tracking it. But then you read that, no, it's not about sleep. It's all about what you eat. It's about sugar intake. So then you got to, like, if you want to be productive and happy, you got to start eating the right way. And you eat as many calories as you burn off. And that's how you'll become productive. But then nobody can agree on anything because some doctor says, well, no, it's not about the calories. It's all about metabolism, right? So you got to eat five small portion meals a day. That's the secret. And then somebody else will come along and says, no, 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 no. It's all about not eating gluten. Yet nobody can tell me what gluten is. Like this is some phantom myth. I mean, it's like some people are allergic, some people aren't allergic. Nobody has any idea what gluten is. I'm convinced of that. But uh, somebody else will then come along and say, no, 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 no. Again, it's not about sleep. It's not about food. It's all about working out. It's how you work out, but nobody can agree on how you work out. Some people say it's high reps, low weight. Some people say it's high weight, low reps. Other people say it's all about cardio. Then there's yoga. Everybody knows yoga is going to solve all your problems in life. That's how you're going to be happy and productive. Then now we've got CrossFit. I don't know what in the world these CrossFit people are talking about. It's not about a wad. Hey, man, did you get your wad in today in the box? We got to go work out in the box. You do some am wraps. I'm like, bro, I have no idea what you're saying. This is not even English to me. This I have no idea what you're talking about. Can we just lift some weights or what? I mean, what's going on with AMRAPs and wads and boxes? It's, it's gibberish. I have no idea what they're saying. Nonetheless, here's my point. The galvanizing theme around all of these things, sleep, food, uh, food working out, anything, exercise, it's all important. Don't get me wrong. It's all important to have a healthy lifestyle. That is a good thing. So don't hear me saying that, but nobody's debating that. What it all comes back to, what's galvanized, get, being galvanized around this point is it's all about discipline. Everybody knows the things they should do. It's just nobody wants to actually do them. We just want a five-second workout to get six-pack abs or some pill we can take to lose weight, but nothing worthwhile in your life that has any significance is going to come easy. That's a fundamental to your life. That was free. That's not even in my message notes, all right? What? <laughs> But again, it's all about discipline, which what is discipline? Discipline is doing the things that you don't want to do, but know you should do it. And again, if people would just discipline themselves, they would see progress. And I feel like that's what every person in life is really chasing after, isn't it? Progress. We want progress in our checking account. We want progress at work. We want progress in our weight loss. We want progress in our parenting. We like to see the fruit of our labor especially in human endeavors. And the problem with Christianity is sometimes we don't always get to see that fruit right away. And so we've got to do some things that, that are very much disciplined and that are very much things you probably don't feel like doing, but nonetheless, they're going to lead to progress. We all strive for wanting to get better at something. It's why many disciplines will turn into an obsession or a lifestyle. You think about running. Nobody starts off thinking, man, I really like running. Maybe they're getting chased, right? But why do people wake up at five in the morning to go run? That's never sounded like a good idea to me. I'd much rather sleep. It'll run in my dreams, right? But why do people do it? Because an obsession has turned into a lifestyle. They started doing something that they didn't want to do, but they knew that it would lead to this, 
a healthy lifestyle. So they decided to keep doing it. Same thing happens in instruments, practicing, the piano. That's why every parent makes their kid practice the piano with that metronome. You just want to break the thing, throw it through the wall, whatever. But eventually you're hoping that discipline turns into a delight, that they'll enjoy playing. It goes for being committed in the garden or whatever. You typically start something that you don't like in order to see a result, to see some progress. And then once you get to see that progress, now it becomes a delight. It's what we all want. The results of our discipline outweigh the fact that we don't enjoy doing it. So the truth is, God wants to see your progress too. God wants to see you progress in some areas of your Christian walk and of your Christian life and of your faith. And and you might initially hate doing those things, but God still calls you to do it because he knows that they're going to make you a better Christian and a better human being. So uh, I want to show you this in scripture. I want you to realize I'm not making any of this stuff up. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open it up to Matthew. Matthew is in your New Testament. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, you need to realize there's two parts of your Bible. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. That word testament comes from Latin, which is a translation of Greek. It literally means covenant. So you got an old covenant and a new covenant. The old covenant is the law of Moses. The new covenant is about grace and Jesus. And so Matthew is the first book in this New Testament. I'm not sure how many of you thought about this, but your faith is very much like a muscle, and it needs to be worked out and grown, and it requires discipline in order to grow it. Your muscles don't just happen, right? Neither does faith. The Olympics are on right now. If you went up and talked to an Olympic athlete and said, hey, man, how'd you make it to the Olympics? I guarantee none of them said, well, I just prayed and God showed up. Here I am. You'd be like, what? No. They said, no, I I woke up every morning at 4.30 and went and worked out and worked hard to get to this place. It required a lot of discipline and a lot of work, and it wasn't just a miracle and the Holy Spirit fell on me, and here I am. Yet how often as Christians is that our approach to life? God, why don't you just fix this? And then we never actually do any work. What we're going to see today is God actually requires you to do some work. He needs you uh, to do some things in order uh, to help grow your faith. More specifically, your Christian walk and discipline. Okay? So you want Matthew, big number six, little number one. It reads, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. You see that? Be careful not to practice your righteousness. In other words, it's assumed you will be practicing righteousness. It just says that you have to do it uh, not in front of others to to be seen by them. Look at your neighbor and say, good thing we're here practicing. (laughs) Right? Right. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. You see that? reward by God. Apparently God gives rewards. He cares about progress. So when you give to the needy, assuming you do, it must be part of practicing. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Y'all seen that movie Aladdin? Anybody seen that? Uh, you remember when he wishes to be a prince and he's coming through the streets, make way for Prince Ali, right? He's throwing money and everybody, right? Nobody's on that. All right, well, 
that's what it reminded me of. He's coming through, throwing money. People are scrambling to get it. Apparently, that's how people used to give to the poor way back in the day. They would announce it with trumpets, and they'd come through, and that everybody wanted, they wanted people to look at them and, and know that they're the ones giving you the money and the bread and all that. And, and, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't be like that. Don't be like Prince Ali. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What's their reward? Honored by men. Yay. Congratulations. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, assuming you do, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, God rewards people. Let me ask you a question. What if you really believed that, that that God would reward you? Kind of change the way you view your money, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be like getting alligator arms every time the money came by, right? I mean, you'd be like, I'll get this check. No, you wouldn't, that wouldn't happen because you've changed your view on how money actually needs to be used in your life. Because now when something like that would happen, an opportunity to give to the needy, an opportunity to give come across, you'd be like, all right, another chance for God to reward me. If you believe that God would in fact would reward you. See, the reason most of you get nervous in church when the pastor starts talking about money is because you don't actually believe that, that God will reward you. Let me say it this way. You trust your money more than you trust in God. That's why you get nervous. It's around, in, it's a faith issue. It's a faith tension. It has nothing to do with the money. Now, you would never actually say that verbally. I totally understand that. You don't have to because your checkbooks have already said it because you're not giving the way God asks. One of the fundamentals to the Christian faith is God is the source of our security. Amen, somebody? Listen to this, Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in our trouble. Psalm 9.10. Those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved and abide forever. Psalm 61. For you have been my refuge, a tower, a strong tower against the enemy. See, King David had it figured out. He knew that God was the source of his security. Had nothing to do with his wealth. Had nothing to do with his army. It had everything to do with God. Psalm 40, one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture. It's actually how we named this church. It says, you pulled me out of a pit of destruction. You set my feet securely on a rock. You put a new song in my mouth. New anthem. Many will see and many will hear and put their faith in the Lord. Yes. Jesus, God, is the source of our security. Jesus, just a few verses later, here in Matthew chapter 6, says this, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Rhetorical question, yes, you are. (laughs) 
And God provides. God is the source. The problem is, here in 2016, nobody really believes that. All of us, myself included, we all look at our circumstances, and we forget our source. Yet King David and Jesus, they understood something of biblical proportions. They understood their source. And they understood that God was the source and that He wants to be your source. This is why money is such a big deal because it's literally the only thing that you will look to in your life to help you more than you'll look to God. You trust in it much more than you trust in Him. It's God's chief competition. Hence the sermon title today. Money is God's chief competition. Can I just point out something rather obvious? If you open up your Bible and and just read it, uh, the very first line in your Bible says, in the beginning, God. You'll notice your name's not in there. (laughs) My name's not in there. It's in the beginning, God. Fundamental to our entire faith is that there was nothing. And then God spoke. And then there was everything. So before you read anything else in Scripture, God likes to just remind you that, hey, I want you to know that I got this whole thing started. And what should be reassuring to you is the fact that because God is God, whatever He starts, He's required to finish. He needs to be your source. Why do you keep looking to yourself and your checkbook to fix your life? When God says, I'm the only one that can do that. Why are you so concerned with money when God says you need to be concerned with me? Let me remind you of another verse, Psalm 103.2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what? benefits. Man, how quick are we to forget God's benefits, aren't we? The fact that He's forgiven you, the fact that even though repeatedly in your life you're going to rebel against His holy law, He still wants to be in a relationship with you. How quick are we to forget those things? The fact that we have nothing to worry about because He's our constant source of security. The fact that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. How quick are we to forget His benefits? That's a fundamental benchmark to our faith. God will take care of us. He promises it. Listen to me. Maybe instead of telling your God how big your problems are, you should tell your problems how big your God is. Amen, somebody? That's good preaching. Start getting after your problems because God is bigger than they are. Jesus just said, if you'll connect your resources to the source, you won't ever reach the end of your pile. God will reward you. But so many of us get consumed and obsessed with not reaching the end of our pile that we forget 
God has promised to take care of us. What's Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these other things will be added to you as well. Get after God first. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Reconnect the source to your resources. Reconnect the source to your resources. Reconnect God to everything you have in life. Everything you do. Don't try and separate the two. God wants to be in a relationship with you. And he wants to be involved in every area of your life. So when it comes to money, why not ask God how you should steward it? It's all his anyway. Maybe you should ask him how you should go about stewarding it. God's not after your money. He's after your progress. He doesn't want you to disconnect this area of your life from him. He wants to be involved in your decision making. Some of y'all's growth and progress is being stunted because you're looking to your money to be your source instead of looking to God. Money cannot give you what you feel like it's intended to give. And that's being the source of your security. Only God can provide you with security and happiness and peace. And so the reason you don't tithe or the reason you don't give is because you need to get more for yourself so you can be happy. And you feel like the more money you can spend on yourself and get that nicer house or that nicer car, that eventually that's going to satisfy this longing and desire that's in your heart. Jesus comes along and says, I'm the only one that can do that. That hole that you're feeling in there, that's a God-shaped hole. You can't buy your way out of that hole. So you're not a percentage giver, you're a priority giver. You just give to whatever you feel like is priority for your life in that moment. Instead of choosing to give a percentage of your income. And you don't realize that you need to reconnect to the source and connect your resources to the source. But fundamental to our faith is that we give sacrificially to God. Because it's about growing our faith. Giving more than we feel like we can because we know that God's going to come through. Because He's promised to reward us. So what happens in that moment when you give above and beyond and you see God show up, then all of a sudden your faith has grown. And again, that's what he's after, your progress. Let's keep reading in Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus is going to move on for money because there's another chief competition in life. And when you pray, assuming you do, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's our word again. Rewards from God. Obviously, this is verses talking about, about prayer. In fact, Jesus, in your next few verses, he's going to outline how you should pray. And I've covered that a number of times in the past. But here's what I want you to see specifically about this passage. Jesus is not talking about little throw them up shotgun prayers. God, help me today. God, help my spouse. God, bless this food. 
God fix my marriage. No, he's talking about deliberate going into your room, closing the door, taking the time to actually pray prayers in a very real way, undergirding what Jesus is talking about, is the idea that God wants your time. It's a chief competition, your time and your money. And here Jesus is saying, I want you to take the time to get to know me. It goes back to this conversation we had earlier about knowing what we should do and just deciding not to do it. If we really believed God would reward us, how much more time would you give God dedicated to prayer? I would contend a lot. Or maybe it's that you think the reward will be that he'll say yes to everything. And so when you pray and God doesn't say yes, then you decide, well, it's not worth praying. The rewards God promises are not about material blessings. They're not about God saying yes to everything you ask for. God's blessing is the assurance that He's going to show up, that He is for you, that He's with you in all the uncertainties of life. God will do something to sustain you through it. That's the promise of God, and that's the reward of God. It's God saying, I've already got a solution before you know there's a problem. It's the reward of God. Well, let's talk about this idea of time for a second, because it's a huge idea, especially in today's world. I find it ironic because everything that we're about as a human race is to propel ourselves forward to see progress. And so the more advanced we've become as a civilization, our ability to live life more effectively has in turn caused us more worry. You guys still tracking with me? The more we've progressed, the more anxious we've become as a society. So before timepieces were invented, we were apt to measure life by seasons and days rather than what we do today and measure in minutes and seconds. Couldn't watch your crops grow, so you had to just measure life in a season. When the season was done, then you knew it was time to harvest or whatever, which meant progress or regress, depending, it had to be measured differently. But then once watches and timepieces were invented, they gave us the ability to measure not just time in greater detail, but the ability to measure speed at which we're falling behind our goals or achieving our goals. Both is true. But the more we fall behind, the more anxious we become. And because now we can measure progress, we're all the more concerned with our ability to progress. It leads to worry. We worry about what we're going to eat in breakfast. We worry about if we're getting enough sleep. We worry about if we're getting enough exercise. We worry about our money. We worry about the kids. We worry about who's going to pick them up from school. We worry about sports practices. We worry, worry, worry. And then God comes along and says, you have to have a vision that stands outside of time. One that transcends minutes and hours and days and seasons. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck on this hamster wheel, just running and running and running and causing more anxiety in your life. In other words, 
until you understand that in the beginning, God. Until you really understand that, you'll never find peace. Draw it down this way. Reconnect your mortal to the eternal. Reconnect your time to the one who stands outside of time. How? Prayer and Bible reading. Jesus makes that clear. This entire conversation is really about trusting God, giving over your time and your treasure to God. Stop obsessing over where God wants to take you and and rather start obsessing about what God can do through you. He wants to work things out in your life. You just have to allow him the opportunity to do that. Now, we don't have time to continue reading here in Matthew 6, but if you would continue reading on, Jesus is going to talk about fasting. You really want to track your progress within this Christian faith? When's the last time you fasted? It's a big question. But Jesus said this is the next step in your maturity to fast, to seek him, to get more in love with him, to, to trust him for everything. But let me get super practical here. So how can Monday look different because you came to church on Sunday? Here, I'll give you two things. Number one, give God the first portion of your money. You need to give God the first portion of your income. Now, you notice I didn't say how much. I just said you need to give God the first portion of it. This is because God's not interested in the amount. God's interested in your heart. And I can tell you what I think the Bible teaches And it's that you should give 10, you should save 10, and you should live on 80. That's just a very good habit to get yourself into. Give God the first 10% of your income, save 10% of your income, and live on the 80%. I think that's going to set you up for success in life. If you think, man, this pastor, all he wants is my money. Look, give 10% somewhere else. I don't get a raise for this right? They ain't commission thing up here. (laughs) Give it somewhere else. I don't care. But God wants you giving your money because he knows it's the chief competition to your heart and your soul. Might I submit to you, if you feel like you can't give anything, that you're probably living outside God's plan for your life because he's asked you to give. You say, well, my bills are too great, pastor. Maybe you're living outside your means. Maybe you need to find a second job. I don't know what it is. I'm just telling you, God's asked you to give because it's a way to reconnect to the source. Because when you're not, you're living in this trap and you feel like money is going to somehow make you happy and productive, and it's not. God is. He wants control of your life. What else do we do? Number two, give God the first portion of your time. Give God the first portion of your time. Wake up 10 minutes early. I know, I'm not a morning person, Pastor. Can't, uh, nobody is, right? And those that are, I, they're an angel or something, okay? Because nobody really likes the morning. But how important is it for you to say, God, you're so important in my life that I'm going to give you the first portion of my day? because I want to reconnect with you. Again, God rewards that. 
He's promised us to reward you. I think it's worth pointing out that these do start out as disciplines. And just like every other discipline in your life, they're beneficial even if you had a bad attitude. You might have a bad attitude working out. Working out is still beneficial. You might start out this way as having a bad attitude of praying and reading the Bible and tithing. But nonetheless, God still rewards it because he knows it's lining up with how he designed the world to work. The goal is that they will turn into a delight because Jesus says, none of my commands should be burdensome to you. So eventually you'll get there, but you've got to start somewhere. Here's the bottom line. The tension that you feel around giving away time and giving away money, that tension is a faith tension. The reason you have tension around that is because the enemy knows this is the way you reconnect to God. And he doesn't want that for you. And God says, this is my chief competition. I want to grow your faith if you'll let me. But in order to do that, you've got to give me the first portion of your time and the first portion of your treasure. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to change? Are you going to anticipate these rewards that God has promised you? Or are you going to stay the same? It's up to you. I, for one, want to find these rewards that God has promised me. So I'm going to get up early. I'm going to pray and I'm going to read my Bible. And I'm going to give away a minimum of 10% of my income. Laura and I just committed a long time ago. We're going to give away more every single year than we did the year before. We started at 2%. We're up to 12.3%. <laughs> it's funny because I know that percentage because I'm like, Dad, come, i got to figure out another way to give. But you know what's funny? Every single time God showed up, found different ways that we could give. Every single time just challenge you. The same thing could happen for you. And you'll never find any greater delight in your life than when God shows up and you get to brag on God because of how big he is. Reconnect to the source. It's fundamental to our faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for being so big that in the beginning there was you. And all you did was speak and everything came from your voice. God, we love you. But there are times in our life when we don't trust you. We're sorry for that. We know that you've asked us to give sacrificially of our time and of our resources. So God, I just pray right now that you open up hearts, open up minds, relieve this tension, show people how they can give. Show people where they can commit more time to you. And God, I just pray for those rewards that you've promised. That in people's lives, you'll show up, that you'll grow their faith. And God, if there's anybody here this morning who's never accepted this free gift of salvation, as we continue to pray with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you this morning, and you want to put your trust in Jesus for the very first time, I just invite you to pray with me. Say, God, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I haven't kept your commands. But I believe that Jesus came to this earth, that he died on a cross, but that he beat death. Because of that, I'm made new. Help me live this new life. In Jesus' name. God, thank you for that new life. I thank you for all the lives here this morning. The desire to grow. The desire to live for you. The desire to trust you more and more each day. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.